And we're live, g'day. I'm Scotty North, and this is Zenium Live, where we talk all things money, finance, and property. And it is lunchtime on a Thursday, so in Australia, that pretty much means it's the end of the work week. And so grab a bite to eat, sit down, and listen to some good content coming out to us today. I know that after this that I take off and don't do anything else till possibly Tuesday. So, uh, But just don't tell anyone else in my team that because they think that I'm actually very busy. All right, today's show, I'm pretty excited to talk to a very special guest. Uh, we have someone who is not only, you know, the, the, the thing, the traditional, the, you know, the, the wife or the mother or the business owner, but she's also an author and a finance broker. And I'd like to welcome Caroline Jean-Baptiste. How are you going, Caroline? Good, thanks, Scotty. Thanks for having me. Oh, look, uh, thanks for joining us today. Now, look, uh, you... Uh, you know, I mean, whenever we dig into someone's history, there's always some good stories and some, you know, good fodder to discuss and how we got to where we got to and all that sort of stuff. But um, if you want to give us a quick overview of, you know, right now you're a mortgage choice broker in uh, Brisbane, capital city, Queensland. And so tell us in five minutes or less how you got to be there and some of your highs and lows along the way. Five minutes, that uh, gives me a lot of time to talk, Scotty. Well, you can make um, it two minutes. I'm okay with that. <laughs> That's all right. I'll uh, see what I can uh, talk about in the in the time frame that I've got. So um, I began my mortgage broking journey uh, after returning from overseas um, and I was looking for a business, really. I had attempted to get into the property market about five years prior and I'd walked into my local branch and they just simply said no. And I was really feeling embarrassed that I'd even bothered going to approach a, brand, uh, a bank um, to see if I could get a loan because I saved up a good sized deposit. But getting rejected, I just felt as though I didn't deserve to be in the property market. But when I came back from overseas and saved a bit more money, I found Mortgage Choice franchise available. And I thought, wow, that uh, would be a great opportunity. And when I investigated broking a little bit more, I just thought, why hadn't I come across this? five years sooner, because getting into the property market five years earlier could have made an enormous difference to my uh, to my wealth, actually. But I'm really glad that I found it at the time so that I could actually help other people avoid this problem that I faced by being rejected by a branch for my first home. Um, so I started off uh, just as a small business in my lounge room in Kangaroo Point in, uh, in Brisbane. And I grew the business over 16 years to what it is today, which is a, a strong team servicing um, all sorts of different property buyers and refinances. So we um, specialise in empowering women to buy that house so that they can create choice, flexibility and control in their future. I've got a good, strong team of people behind us who uh, help people get the loans that maybe a bank might say no, or maybe they just need help with structuring or putting a strategy in place to get their property portfolio nice and robust and take advantage of how the, how the Australian property market is going. We help people in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, all over Australia actually, um, to get into the market because I just am really passionate about buying, home, buying homes and um, having somewhere to live at retirement. I think it's really important and a really important part of any wealth creation strategy. Yeah, no, that's that's true. And look, having that home going into retirement, there's a whole bunch of stats around that, which we won't bore people with today, but it's a very good point. 
So you make some uh, great comments there. Uh, you know, I love the fact of empowering uh, women. And also, uh, you know, you mentioned that uh, you get the banks to say yes, which is actually the topic of the show today is how to get the banks to say yes. And you've compiled all this information in a book format. Now, you can see I, I read a lot of books. There's, there's a lot of Actually, no, that's, I've got a lot of books, right? <laughs> I've got a lot of books. So do we all have, have we all read all the books we have on our bookcase? We're not going to answer that question today. We'll save that one for another time. But there's a book here that I think we should look at. I just, is, is this one here? Uh, it's it's not bad, right? Like, look at that. That's uh, and look at the, there's an author there. She looks kind of familiar. The name is a bit familiar. Yeah, we might have to make me bigger there, it's just because everyone can kind of see it. There we go. That's so that's Carolyn's book there. Buy that house. How kick-ass women make it happen. Um, so there you go. So I flicked through this because I wasn't sure if I was allowed to read this book because I'm <laughs> I'm not a woman. And, and I probably don't kick ass. So um, I was unsure. So I tentatively, I gave it to my wife. She's loving it. Um, but I was flicking through like over her shoulder and having the odd look. But can you just tell me, are men allowed to read the book as well? A hundred percent. What okay. man wouldn't want to know how a kick ass woman makes it happen? Okay. All right. That's good because I was, yeah, I've read probably a little bit more than I could tell you. So there's some really great stuff in there, especially on your story of how you just mentioned before, how you got you know rejected from the bank, that sort of thing. Um, and then how you went from being a big spender, you're quite good at spending, to being quite good at saving. And I think that that's a, a really important uh, journey that, that you've taken and you've been able to share with others. So, uh, you know, hats off to you on that book. I think it's fantastic. And uh, we'll talk a bit more about that a bit later. So let's dig into how to get banks to say yes. So let's set the scene. I've got a question for you. There's this little thing that happened last year called Corona. Not sure if you've heard about it, but uh, how are things changing banking and, and broking land since, you know, before then to now in terms of getting loans? Uh, look, it has varied across all different industries because throughout Corona, as we are all um, aware of, some people were hit really, really hard and they couldn't meet their home loan repayments and some people actually did really, really well out of it. So from a lending perspective, banks went through a, a period of looking really in-depth at everybody's situation and us having to justify what their employment status continues to be um, uh, post-COVID and post-lockdown. Um, people in Melbourne and Sydney, we had to provide a lot of commentary on exactly how they're doing their work from home and if and how they're impacted by corona and if it's going to be long-term and what their employers are doing and all that sort of stuff. But um, with the introduction of these incentives and the first home loan deposit scheme and the family home guarantee, what I have seen is lenders go from being really strict and really investigating those living expenses um, to becoming a lot more reasonable. So there are some lenders who are looking at everybody's situations and just being a bit more reasonable. So with this family home guarantee, as a single mother, for example, um, they're going to be wanting to get you uh, approved for a loan because these sort of incentives don't come out very often and it's a really great way to get single parents into a home. For the first home buyers out there, these sort of incentives are there to actually get them into a property with 
a, um, a lower out-of-pocket expense. So that they won't be paying mortgage insurance if they qualify for these schemes. But that a lot of lenders are really wanting to get people into the market. Now, it's a different story if you're self-employed. Given the impact on small businesses for the last two years and banks generally requiring two years financials, uh, and also the JobKeeper and, or, and the cash flow boost and all these other things that are impacting how banks would usually assess self-employed applications, um, they're asking for more information and wanting more like BAS returns and things like that. So uh, there's a lot of lenders out there who are um, actually coming into the market and helping out people who don't uh, fit the mainstream lenders' policies. So maybe somebody was able to go to Commonwealth Bank or one of the big four banks previously, and now they don't fit that lenders' policy anymore, but there are other lenders who are picking up the slack, and that's their area of specialty. They're, the, they're our specialist lenders. Okay. Oh, that's It's interesting. So uh, my notes to ask you while you're talking was, you know, was it got easier or harder? So it's kind of a bit of both in some respects. Some people are finding it easier to get a loan than, say, end of 19. Um, and if you're self-employed, perhaps it's more difficult, yeah, is what you're seeing, right, at the coalface. So that's, yeah, so, or, in a, or in an impacted industry, yeah. Right, okay, okay. So they're just looking kind of, what I'm hearing you say is the bank's looking more heavily into your industry and how you're infected, uh, infected impacted by corona rather than just all the, the nitty-gritty of the, what you spend and other bits and pieces. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. They're looking at the bigger picture. And if, if in lockdown, for example, your living expenses have come down, what you will probably need to declare or consider is what your living expenses will be once the lockdown lifts. Right. Okay. Okay. So, yes. Well, lockdown is a good time to save money if you can't get out and spend it. So, um, um, if only you knew that in your book, Carolyn. It's, <laughs> if only we knew lots of things in 2019. All right, so um, you alluded to sometimes uh, as the, the the market always changes, the lending market, so it's not always a straightforward answer to say this bank's easier to go for a loan than this bank Is it because it's always changing. And is it the same thing right now? There's some banks that perhaps weren't you it never dealt with before and now you are? Like is it sort of that side of things changed? Definitely. So um, there's there's so many factors that have changed over the last couple of years. Um, living expenses being one of them, or the household expenditure model, where um, this the household expenditure model is um, the benchmark of living expenses, and the banks are using that as a minimum spend, but the uh, well minimum expected spend, and. Um, but you also need to declare how much you do actually spend. If you under-declare, they're going to use that anyway. The other things that have um, come in is because the interest rates are so low, they can't just um, uh, sensitise the rate when they're assessing the loan and how much you can repay. Like they used to just add on another 2%. So they're really assessing your borrowing capacity around 4 or 5%. Um, and a lot of people have found that their borrowing capacity increases with this uh, measure, but they've also introduced something called debt to income ratio or DTI or loan to income ratio or LTI. And these sort of things, if you're um, trying to borrow up to your maximum, which with the property market going the way it is, a lot of people are needing to borrow um, 
the maximum that they possibly can on their incomes just to get into the market or even just for like to invest or you know just to build their wealth and uh, temporarily maybe they are on a lower income and they will end up being on a higher income but these are the other factors that have been introduced um, in an assessment uh, from an assessment perspective which can make it more difficult to borrow through your traditional lenders um, and this this is where the other lenders are coming in to pick up the slack so when it comes to um, borrowing capacity and wanting to actually achieve uh, the, the investment property or the home that you really want. There's so many things to consider. And this is where the finer detail in lender policy comes into play. Yeah, okay. And that's, I mean, obviously, that's a pretty big uh, plug for why you should use a broker and not try and visit your 300 banking institutions on your own, right? I mean, it kind of goes yeah. without saying. So we've got some uh, uh, some comments coming up here, some serial watches. Uh, Michael, hi, guys. Hey, Michael, we have a lovely lady on today. So um, just in case you're actually just commenting and not just watching. So, um, Michael, you've already answered that question for Michael. Has borrowing capacity increased? And that was very well answered there by Carolyn just a minute ago. Uh, so if you've got any comments or questions, chuck them up there. We can discuss them live. Otherwise, I've got some comments and questions as we move forward. So uh, are you finding a difference or sorry, well, there's always a difference. So what differences are you finding right now for owner occupied versus investors going for a loan? Now, I suppose that's going to be dependent on if they're self-employed and you've answered that sort of question before. But just on that difference alone, whether it's an owner occupied or investor, how are they differing? Um, so when uh, an investment loan is assessed, there is a negative gearing factor that many uh, many lenders take into account, which um, potentially increases somebody's borrowing capacity. So this is a great example of a couple that I saw last night who have managed to pay their home loan off altogether and they're looking at uh, getting into an investment property. There, when we were um, forecasting a proposed income of around about, I think it was like $800 a week or something like that, we got their borrowing capacity up to um, around about 1.2 million that they could spend on an investment property. Alternatively, when we switched over them renting out their existing property and upgrading into an investment, uh, upgrading into another owner occupier, they wanted to upgrade to 1.3. They could, we could only get their borrowing capacity up to a million because the debt that they were taking on is non-deductible, not this tax advice, by the way, um, and they had no they had no deductible, potentially, deductible debt left. So that's what impacted their borrowing capacity. But the thing is when, they're, when looking at borrowing capacity and what is possible, everyone's situation is unique. So there's lots of little tweaks that we can make to... Uh, increase somebody's borrowing capacity so that they can get into the property that they want rather than the property that they think they have to settle for. Yeah, that's a good point. So even if the criteria is somewhat different for the investment because the, the, that, you know, the non-tax advice, the deductibility of the debt and all that sort of stuff, they're looking through all that structure as well and, the, and it's changing the amount that you can borrow. That's quite interesting. Um, so is that uh, concern some of your clients? I mean, have they uh, have they changed their strategy midstream from, oh, well, maybe we'll buy an investment property in, instead of upgrading the principal place of residence? 
look, this has also been an issue um, in the cities that have experienced a huge uh, market growth over the last couple of years, which means the affordability in the bigger cities um, is not what it used to be. So I spoke to a client yesterday who uh, lives in Sydney. She lives in Dremoyne and she is wanting to get into the property market. She's managed to save a great deposit. Uh, and when we ran the figures, she could either borrow, uh, buy a $750,000 one bedroom property where she actually wanted to live in Sydney. And there wasn't really a lot of stock to choose from or she could buy a $650,000 investment property in another state and still remain living where she is. So this is that's like what's commonly known as rent vesting. And this is a decision that a lot of people are faced with, especially when they're trying to get into the market in a city that has potentially become unaffordable. So this is all sort of stuff that you need to consider when you're looking at how much you want to spend and where you want to live. So I don't know about changing strategy midstream, um, possibly changing strategy midstream is something that some people in Brisbane are doing right now, which I've actually seen over the last 12 months because the pace at which the market is moving right now, people yes. have you know had an idea about how much they were going to be spending last year and they've come back to me you know, three to six months later saying, hey, Caroline, I can't find anything in that price range. Can we look at how much more we can borrow? Just It's so moving, it's moving goalposts all the time, right? Like it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that, that actually lines up to, you've got uh, a wonderful Steve Skeen commenting here. So he's saying, are you seeing more owner occupiers compared to long-term averages? If so, when do you think investors will return? Oh, yeah, I, I am seeing more people wanting to get into the market, but also uh, people wanting to leverage on their existing equity. So with their with this rise in the market, people are actually getting more equity in their properties. So they're often in a better position to uh, buy, buy an investment property. And I'm seeing more people interested in investing and we're having a lot of investment discussions. So I think it's really not far away for the investors to return. Uh, some people are sitting back waiting for the market to soften, but <laughs> the reality of what <laughs> soften look like, slow down or go backwards? Yeah. I think they'll be waiting oh, a long gee. time. They could be in for a bit of a shock if they're waiting too long for that. Yes. Um, yeah, that's interesting about investors. So you're starting to see those in those investment discussions ramp up now and have more of them. That's that's a really good comment. That's that's good to know. Um, okay, so one of the other things I want to talk to you about was, you know, obviously pending if you're self-employed or or if your industry is impacted by Corona, all that sort of stuff. Uh, we need to know how to best prepare your finances and documentation to present to the bank, you know, the, the best story that you can give them, because obviously it varies, right? So now I believe you've got four, four boys. I do. Is that right? Yes. yes. Oh, there you go. See, I'm, can you imagine I'm how like the, the next Andrew is. Denton here. Like this is, <laughs> this is just crazy. And so look, uh, I mean, we've, my wife and I've got three sons and a daughter. So, so there's four, you know, with four kids, it's not that easy to, you know, to write off your monthly expenses, right? Like on the bank serviceability thing. So how do people best prepare their finances and documentation to present to the bank? Do you have something you take them through or how does that work? 
Um, I think it's really important to keep the discussion open with your broker uh, before you submit your tax return because if you, well, I've seen some self-employed people claim a lot of expenses that um, uh, they potentially are impacting their borrowing capacity by claiming expenses that could possibly have not necessarily been um so so you can't give tax <laughs> advice because you're on here as the as the broker so let the let True. the dodgy property show host talk about uh, this so what carolyn's saying is that self-employed people write off a whole bunch of crap that they otherwise would have to pay for and so sometimes it's better to not write that off and pay the tax on it because it increases your taxable income therefore it looks better to the bank is that pretty much what we're trying to say yeah, look, one, one of the things that self-employed people come up against year after year is they know that they can afford a property, but what they're paying tax on is what the banks assess your borrowing capacity on. So I did have someone recently who declared $20,000 taxable income and uh, we weren't able to borrow very much at all. <laughs> well, you're not even paying tax at 20K, <laughs> so only wonder they're not interested. Uh, yes, but, yeah, right. the, the income in the business was, was potentially much healthier. So, um, yeah, I think keeping the conversation open with your broker before you submit your tax return and seeing what position you're in before you go and have a discussion with your accountant is a good strategy to implement. Yes, all right, there's good advice there. Okay, and for if you're not self-employed, um, what sort of length of time are the banks looking at now? Is it three months? Is it six, 12 months? Like what sort of history do they want for someone? Well, this is the great thing about having so many different lenders to consider because some lenders require, let's say, um, casual for 12 months. Some lenders require casual for six months. Um, so there's, there's differing policy across uh, lenders when it comes to casual. But when it comes to um, starting a new job, for example, some people just, or some lenders just want to see that you've actually started the job. So a pay slip, um, you've been on, I need a job one week or one month or three months. If you've gone from the same industry, so if you are an electrician and you have just changed jobs to become an electrician, sometimes you can get a loan the day you start your new job. The day you <laughs> Well, that's incentive to turn up for work. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Oh, we've got some other questions here. We'll, and we're getting to the end of the time. So we're going to go through them quickly. Are there some banks that limit the amount of investment properties you can have before they assess your position differently? So uh, does the number of properties you have impact your assessment from the bank? Yes, it does. So quite often, and this is a general policy. So when we're talking about bank policy, it's often general. So if you've got five properties, so your owner-occupied property and four investment properties, some lenders assess you as an investor, so self-employed, and they change the assessment policy and introduce some sort of loading. Um, but the great thing about having so many lenders is not every lender assesses you in the same light right okay that's that is very good to know uh so because i mean to me as i said said earlier you don't just want to go and try and hit every bank up right i mean you need to go with a broker and they're going to know 
which bank's going to suit you and your situation and your goals because I think that's the only way to move forward in this in a good way. Um, all right, so just to recap, we have seen some things change since Corona, uh, some for the good, some for the worst, depending on if your industry's been impacted or your employment situation, self-employed versus employed. Um, there are some banks that shift around in the ease of, ease of accessibility and use uh, criteria and it always is forever changing. Um, there are differences with investors and owner occupiers in terms of uh, the total amount that you can borrow and the other like the LVRs and the interest rates. And um, the best way to prepare to buy a home is to have an early discussion with your broker, right? Well before even uh, you plan your tax returns, other bits and pieces. Have I missed anything there, Carolyn? Um, only that a really great way to destroy your credit history and really impact your borrowing capacity for five years is to make a lot of inquiries and go direct to lenders. You want to go direct to a lender who whose policy you meet and um, who fits right for right for now and in the future. The great thing about sitting down and running your numbers and playing around with them and stress testing them um, is that you'll know exactly what you're going to land on after a solid conversation with your broker. You don't want to be going to different banks and running these different scenarios when you can do it all in one place. I think planning well, having the right discussions and any number of scenarios that you really want to run is, is really important to uh, have a good strategy. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a good point. Thanks for adding that. Um, now, we've got a question here, which is uh, preempting uh, what I was going to say anyway, where can we buy the book? So I want to point people towards your website, uh, which is just your full name with the hyphen between Jean and Baptiste uh, there, so .com.au. And you can go on there, you can connect with Carolyn. Uh, and you can get in touch with her. You can read about a bit of her story, her team, how it works. Also, up the top, uh, we've got the LinkedIn and Facebook connections. Carolyn's very big on LinkedIn, so connect with her on LinkedIn. So look her up on there. I'm sure you'll find her. If you can't, go to the website and you'll be able to find her there. And is this where they buy the book, Carolyn? Yes, they can buy the book there or they can buy it on Kindle. Oh, on Kindle. On Kindle. Yes. Okay, that's interesting. Um, you, okay, I haven't done that before, but I'm sure there's lots of people that do those Kindle things. It's a bit too fancy for us uh, country Queensland property dudes. But uh, just to recap, uh, this is the book we're talking about, Buy That House, there by Carolyn. And it is good for anyone, anyone who wants to buy the house, learn how to save, get your finances in order. Or if you just want to become a kick-ass woman, you can read this book and you automatically become that. Is that right, Carolyn? Uh, sure, Scotty. <laughs> there you go. So that's that's uh, that's what I'm trying to achieve by reading the book. And uh, let's see what uh, everyone else wants to achieve on their own. Look, thank you very much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. Um, if there's, I always give everyone a final parting comment. If there's some pearl or words of wisdom you want to leave with uh, our great global audience before we sign off, now's your chance. Oh, Scotty, you've put me on the spot. But if I can say anything... Go and buy that house. <laughs> okay, that's just a shameless plug if I've ever heard one. Thank you very much, <laughs> Carolyn, for joining us today. It's been an absolute treat to chat to you. Uh, and don't forget 
to jump onto her website. We'll put the details in the links of the video again. Um, and you've seen the book plenty of times. If you haven't, rewind it. You'll get the name of it. It's Buy That House. All right, thanks for joining us, Carolyn. I appreciate it. And we'll see you again soon. And for all of those people who are watching us live, thanks for watching us and listening to us on the Zenium Live podcast, which is available at all podcast uh, you know, apps and places. You can download it. And every time we do a show, we put the podcast out on there. So make sure you listen to us there. If you've got any more information that you want, you can connect with us on the website. Go to www.zenium.live. Um, or send us an email, hello at zenium.live, or give us a call, 1-300-666-789, or contact us wherever you see this video and we'll reply as needed. All right, thanks again, Carolyn, for joining us today. Uh, That's it for me for this week. I'll see you again next week, and we will have uh, a property show, I believe, next week. So we've done our finance show, and next week we'll do our property show, we'll do a property update. Uh, We'll get some dude who has a clue. Hopefully that you're not relying on just me to talk about that one, but we'll wait and see what the budget stretches to. All right, I am Scotty North. This is where we talk about all things money, finance, and property on Xenium Live.